the people's lives in those days, you may find that it sounds like a lot of our lives today. Starting verse 2. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are never satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and build my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. That is severe judgment. And what is their sin? They're not building the house of the Lord. It's, it's the only job they have. On the internet these days, there's a, a meme. Is that what you call them? Is, is it a meme? It's, it's like a theme uh, that, that sort of bounces around, and they're usually kind of funny, kind of like a hashtag. And, and, and this one is hashtag, you had one job. You ever seen any of these? Let me share a couple with you. you. You had one job. These are people who had like one job, and they messed up the one job that they had. Margie, can you help me? Uh, here's one. Look closely. <laughs> This guy had one job, and that was to put the toilet paper dispenser. I don't know, personally, this may be just my personal preference. I would like it in here where I have to sit. Uh, that may be just me. But uh, this guy put the toilet paper outside the stall. That would be awkward. Uh, he had one job, though. The next one, one job, one job. Somebody at... <laughs> You know the lady at Walmart had one job, and that was to, to decorate the birthday cake. And, and somebody, you know, probably said, what would you like on the cake? And the lady said, well, I would like you to put happy birthday in French, you know, on the cake, which probably, you know, would be something like, you know, happy birthday or whatever French people say. But anyway, the Walmart lady just writes happy birthday in French. She had one job and a fail, fail. Let's do another one. Yeah, uh, this is my wife's tattoo. No, no. Yeah, it's a, it's a lady's arm, a tattoo. She probably wanted the tattoo guy to write no regret. He had one job, you know, one job. And a, anyway, he spelled regret wrong, no regret. Yeah, I bet you she regretted that one. Let's do another one. One job, one job. This is the TV news things. I, I love this. Look, look closely. 
Now, this guy had one job, and it was probably to put the suspect's name under the picture. You see that? First name, last name. That's what it says. First name, last name. Yeah, yeah, dude had one job and and, and fail. Uh, Let's do one more. Is there another one? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Logan County right here, people. Welcome to Logan Welcome to Logan County. Yeah. Dude had one job, and that was simply to, you know, paint school on the road, but he paints school. 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 Yeah. Is that is there another one? Is that it? That's it. Yeah. Wow. One job. One job. And uh man, what happens when you can't manage to do the only job you've got to do? And this is a situation of the people of God in the book of Haggai. They, they basically have one job, one job. Building the temple was uniquely important because that symbolized God's presence with his people. You understand? It, it is a place for God to dwell among his people. And it also represents the, the, the getting of priorities in the right order. Now, something like uh, thousands, 50,000 people have probably flooded back into Jerusalem for the rebuilding. So it's plenty of people, and and there's actually plenty of time to, to do this work. But the problem is that they just don't manage to do the work. They start well. They get started. They build the foundation, and then for whatever reason, they just stop. And they take a 16 year break. 16 years. That means in in the course of 16 years, nobody could manage anymore to make their way back and do the one job that God had asked them to do. They only had one job, build the temple. Now, if you ask the people, they'll tell you exactly why they haven't done it. And you'll find it there in verse 2. This is how Haggai begins his entire message. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. And then God quotes the people. The first thing God says is, quote the people. And God says, all of you are saying what? Verse 2. It's just not time yet. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's just not time yet. And interesting. Somehow in 16 years, it was never the right time. It was never the right time for them to do the right thing. It was never the right time for them to do the most important thing. It was never the right time. In 16 years, never the right time to do the only real job God sent them back into the land to do. It was just never the right time. Never the right time. So what exactly keeps us, do you think, what keeps us from making the main thing the main thing? You've heard that kind of question before. What keeps the main thing from being the main thing? Not just in the lives of the people back in Haggai's day, but what keeps the main thing from being the main thing in your life? Can we talk about that? I got a couple of ideas. The first one I would say is you and I, sometimes we just kind of assume that we are the main thing. See, that keeps the main thing from being the main thing because you're not the main thing, and I'm not either. But when we begin to think that we are the main thing, then all of a sudden, all of our priorities are going to be messed up. You and I are never the main thing. They say that after Joe DiMaggio, he was a slugger for the Yankees, I believe, back before World War II. He went and fought World War II, and then he came back. 
And, and he came back, he had a four-year-old son whose name was Joe Jr., Joe DiMaggio Jr. Y- y'all know that. And so after the war, Joe DiMaggio, the, the, the Yankee slugger, he, he came back to, to his team. He came back to the field, but he didn't come to play. He just sort of came to bring his son to watch a game. The, the Yankee slugger is trying for just this one day to be a Yankee fan. You understand the picture here? So Joe DiMaggio, one of the most famous and, and brilliant ball players of his day, is in the stands, in the Yankee stands, with Joe Jr., his four-year-old son. He just wanted his son to experience a Yankees game with his dad, you understand? So he's trying to blend into the stands and blend into the crowd, but he can't do that. Some Yankees fan recognizes Joe DiMaggio. And then after one person recognizes Joe DiMaggio, then it just sort of ripples through the crowd, and everybody, everybody now begins to see Joe DiMaggio. So understand, they start chanting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, Joe, Joe. And it gets bigger and louder and louder. And honestly, at that moment, the only thing Joe DiMaggio can think about is his little boy. And he's wondering what his little boy is going to think of all of this. And the little boy is just looking, just looking around. And everybody's shouting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, Joe. And so remember, Joe Jr. is sitting there beside his daddy, and Joe DiMaggio says, son, what do you think about that? And the little boy says, how does everybody know my name? (laughs) He thought it was all for him, four-year-old boy. How does everybody know my name? Yeah, it, it wasn't about him. It was about his father. But he had no idea. He just sort of assumed that he was the main thing. That's pretty much how some of us go through our lives, isn't it? We forget that the Father is the big deal. We are not the big deal. We forget that God and God alone deserves glory and praise and and, and not us. And yet, when praise and good things come our way, we just naturally assume that somehow it's all about us. We, We make it all about us. And we make our lives all about ourselves. And whenever we do that, our lives get out of order. Understand? Because you and I are never, ever going to be the main thing. Now, some of us don't so much fit in that court, category. We fit in this category. The reason the main thing's not the main thing is because you don't really have a main thing. Some of us really don't have a main thing. You're the person who just sort of bounces through life. You don't have a plan. You don't have a purpose. You don't really have a main thing. You just sort of respond to things as they come up, and things just keep coming up. And this isn't necessarily a fun way to live. And some of you despise the way you live because it's chaotic. You just sort of run through your days. You run through weeks. You run through months. Nothing really ever gets done. You can't focus on anything at all for any period of time because once something else comes up, you're on to that. You really don't have a main thing. You're not living for yourself. You're not living for anything. You're just sort of going through this kind of Netflix existence where you just sort of binge watch and binge eat, and you just sort of don't really have any sort of purpose or plan for your life. You don't have a main thing. And the reason that you're not keeping the main thing the main thing is because you don't really have a main thing. You just sort of bounce through your life. I guess the other category is is simply this. For a lot of us, the wrong thing becomes the main thing. Something that doesn't really have ultimate importance, we make ultimately important, don't we? In the scripture here, it it, it makes pretty clear what the people have done. Verse 4, Haggai says, 
speaking for God, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? And then again, down in verse 9, look what it says. You hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought the harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are, say the word, you're looking at the scripture, all of you are busy. All of you are busy, busy building your own house, is it? The, the wrong thing for the people of God has become the main thing. And for them, the, 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 the wrong thing, the main wrong thing is, is their own houses. It, it's really a temptation, is it, in our lives to, to simply make most important what is easiest for us or maybe what is, is most convenient or, or most beneficial for us ourselves. So understand the picture, the people of God go back into the land and they have one job and it is to rebuild the temple. They get started on that, but then they eventually leave that to make something else the main thing. And that something else is, is to get their own houses built. Now, it's not necessarily the case that it's wrong to build your own house. Haggai doesn't condemn them for building themselves houses. The, the point is they've been building their own houses now for 16 years. You understand? So some of them finished their own house a long time ago. That house is finished. Now they're just sort of redoing the kitchen. You understand? They're never finished building their own house. They finished their house and then they realized they wanted like marble countertops. You understand? So now they got to redo it. They never stop because they want their own house to be luxurious and it never really is luxurious enough. Never really finished taking care of themselves. Never really finished making their own house the main thing. And, and this is the problem. Their house is not supposed to be the main thing. The wrong things now become the main thing. You live in luxurious houses, the Lord says. Everybody's busy building their own houses, and my house still lies in ruins. It's been 16 years, and nobody's turned over a rock. And yet you still continue to build your own houses. Is this sermon preaching itself yet? Sometimes I wonder why things at church don't get done. Why attendance is sort of way up and way down. One of the most alarming recent statistics nationwide is that the most faithful people in any church now only come to church about three out of four Sundays. Now, when I was a kid, there were people that, that we used to say were open every time the door was open. They were in church every time the door was open. We don't have people who are in church every time the door is open anymore. The most faithful people aren't totally faithful anymore. That, that, that's nationwide. Most faithful people come about three out of every four Sundays. What, what's happening? When I raise that question, the answer is always, well, Brother Tim, everybody's busy. Everybody's busy these days, and, and, and I have to confess, I'm standing here in front of you uh, after two of the busiest weeks I've ever had, and I'm going into a very busy week, so I'm standing humbly before you. I'm guilty. We're all busy. We're very busy. I, I just want to say a couple of things here. First off, this is for all of us. Busyness is sickness of the soul. It's sickness. It's sickness, busyness. 
And there's something crazy about it, especially in our lives. So, Brother Tim, it's just the day we live and everybody's busy. I, I know that, but, but let's think back to our great-grandmother's day. My great-grandmother used to have to make her own soap. She made her own soap. Okay, is this sinking in yet? She had to make her own soap, and pretty much anything at all that they had to eat, they had to grow. So they grew their own food, they made their own soap. If anybody wore the clothes, I mean, Grandma probably made the clothes, you understand? And before those people came to church, they had to go out and catch a horse. I'm not making any of that up. You know that's true, right? But somehow, in those previous generations, with all that they had to do just to survive, they managed to build churches and build mission boards. They managed to do the kingdom of God in such a way that we continue to stand on their shoulders. We continue to reap the fruits of the seeds they planted back in their day. And you're telling me that we're more busy than they are? When's the last time you made soap, ma'am? When's the last time your kid had to wear something to school that you had to sew? When's the last time that you had to depend upon your own hands to raise your food? When's the last time you had to catch a horse? You're busy? Busy? Do, do, you, do you understand? Watching television is not work. And it's really not important. It's not a priority. It's not something that you have to do. And yet, we spend a lot of time in, in just entertainment. We have a lot of time for that. I, I've already mentioned binge watching Netflix. Y'all know what that term is, binge watching. Binge watching means you sit down for hours. It's like you watch an end, you don't just watch one episode of The Office, you watch a season of The Office. And some of you have watched an entire weekend of The Office, but then you're busy. You tell people that you're busy, too busy to, you know, go to church more than three Sundays out of the month, too, you know, too busy to serve the Lord, too busy to get involved doing anything, but yet you can watch an entire season of New Girl. Busyness is, is, is sickness. It, it, it is truly sickness of the soul. You understand, your problem is not a disordered schedule. It's not that your schedule is mixed up, and if you could manage your time better, it is not an issue of a disordered schedule. Your problem is a disordered heart. Our hearts are out of order. Our priorities are out of order. Busyness is sickness. It is sickness, and it is a symptom of a very deep and profound spiritual malady. There's something profoundly sick about our hearts. Why do we love to be busy? Because obviously we love to be busy. If anybody asks you how you doing, it's like, oh, busy. Nobody ever would say, you know, I don't have a thing to do, man. I tell you, I got, I got time to watch. I, you know, last two days, I, I've watched the entire show of Lost. I watched all the seasons. I ain't got nothing to do. You know, I ate my way through a whole bag of Doritos last night. I'm, I'm doing nothing. Nobody says that. We want people to think that we're busy. Because somehow busyness adds to our importance, doesn't it? Makes me feel important. If I have a lot of things to do, then I must be pretty important. So all of us portray ourselves as very, very busy. That, that's become important to us. It, it, it adds to our own sense of, of really mattering, really being significant. The other thing is, if, if we slow down, we have to think. And most of us don't like ourselves when everything gets quiet. 
You with me now? The reason I say busyness is a sickness of the soul, this is why some of you really hate to lay down and go to bed at night, because as soon as you lay down, your brain starts working, doesn't it? And you really don't like the person you are when you have to slow down and think. You would take Ambien, you would take any kind of medication, you'd take, you know, Michael Jackson's IV, whatever he was taking, you'd do that just so that you could pass out and sleep and not have to deal with the voices that come bubbling up out of your soul. There's something sick. And that's why when you start to think, you you become afraid, you you become anxious, you, you become guilty and ashamed. Busyness lets us run from all of the things we want to run from. It, it is not a way to be more important. It's not a way of managing your life better. You, you, you're running from your own life. And ultimately, as busy as we are, it causes us to settle for a very mediocre way of life. You don't enjoy anything because you don't savor anything. You don't enjoy your food because you don't even taste your food. You, you just, you, you, like I said, you, you eat your way through a jar of mayonnaise, you understand? And, and you don't taste, you don't enjoy. There's no joy in it. So we actually settle for a, a mediocre way of living our lives. But the most important thing is God's work never gets done. God's work never gets done. Let me say this, and this is the critical part of Haggai's message. Don't assume God's going to bless what you're doing when it's not what he wants done. Don't assume that God's going to bless what you're doing when it's not what he wants done. Most of us just want God to bless what we're doing, but we never even stop and and ask God what he would have us do. We just sort of want God to, to, to ride along with us. We want God to have our back. We want God to come along behind us and clean up our messes, forgive us of our sins, protect us from the consequences of our own stupidity. But we don't want God in our lives in such a way where he takes over. So this is how we live our whole lives. We do what we want to do. We build our own house. We stay busy doing our thing. And then we just sort of want God to bless all of that. And this is what Haggai is saying to the people of God. God will have nothing of that. He's not going to just sort of take the leftover scraps of your life and make something beautiful out of it and give it to you as a gift like a present. God's not your heavenly errand boy, your heavenly assistant. That's not who he is. And he won't be that. So, so note, notice what happens. It's, 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 it's striking. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Verse 5, look at what's happening to you. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You hope for its harvest, verse 9, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. It's because of you, the scripture says, that the heavens withhold the dew. Look at what's happening to you. Does that sound like your life? Everybody's busy, Brother Tim. Everybody's busy. I I know. Isn't it amazing? We have so little that we absolutely have to do, but we don't have time to do anything. Most of you would say that you don't have time. 
just no time. And, and I don't know where the time goes. I, I'm guilty as well. But isn't it amazing that in our lives we, we live with this incredible sense of, of, of uh, thrift, this incredible sense of, 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 of never having enough. You don't have enough anything, do you? Most of us make more money than, than our parents ever made, more than your grandfather could have possibly imagined. You, you, you probably spent more on this month's house payment than your grandparents' house costs. I mean, we, we, we literally have so much money. We're the richest nation in the world, and, and even anyone in this house, the, the poorest among us in our congregation is one of the richest people in the world. You know that, right? And yet we never have enough money. Never enough money, is there? No matter how much you make, and in your life, you've probably, most of you have, have gotten a raise, and you make more money now than you did last year, but do you feel like you have more money this year? It never stretches far enough, does it? You, you don't have enough time. You, you don't have enough money. And you're never satisfied. Look at what's happening to you, the Scripture says. You're, you're never satisfied. No matter what it is that you eat, it doesn't satisfy you. Some of you eat at the fanciest restaurant in Bowling Green, and when they bring you your food, no matter what they bring you, it's not right. It's not good enough. It's, it's too cold, or it's too hot. It's, it's, it's too rare, or it's too well done, or this salad might have a hair in it, or maybe the person who made the salad has hair, or, or whatever. You're never satisfied. It goes back because you can't be pleased with anything anymore. Your kids can't please you. Your spouse can't please you. Do you understand? There's a connection here. The way that for you nothing's ever enough, the way you can never be satisfied. It's like you have all of the best things in life and you take these things and you put them in your pocket, but your pocket has a hole in it. So somehow it's all running out the bottom and you don't know where any of it goes. You don't know where your money goes. Where in the world does the time go? Is it already time for lunch? Because didn't we just eat breakfast? I mean, your life just flows like this, like sand in the hourglass. Why? Do you ever stop to wonder why you never get any traction? It's like you're on a treadmill. You're running and running and running, and you never get anywhere. Look at what's happening to you, the Lord says. Very, very simply, if you don't have time or money to do everything you're trying to do, you may be trying to do things God doesn't intend you to do. God always provides everything necessary to do his will. Always. God always provides everything necessary for you to do the things he wants you to do. So if you don't have enough time in any day to do everything you're trying to do, you're trying to do too much. You are trying to do things that God never intended that you do. You've got to learn what's important. You understand? This money, money's an issue for a lot of us. I know that some of us in this house really struggle with income. We don't have enough money. And I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about those of you who have plenty of money, but somehow it's never enough. You ever stop to wonder that maybe if you began to just use your money in the ways that God intends that you use your money, there's probably more than enough? This life of never enough, God says, it's, it's a sign for you. God says, as a matter of fact, some of what you bring home, I just blow it away. He just blows it away because he wants to get your attention. He wants you to see how unsatisfying your life is when you do not find your satisfaction in him. They only had one job. They were 
slaves. They were captives in Babylon, and they were allowed to go home. By God's gracious mercy, they were allowed to go home. At first, they were excited, and they were ready to do God's work, and they jumped in. And for the first two years, they busted it. They built that foundation. And then two years later, they got comfortable, and they wanted to be even more comfortable. And their whole life began to revolve around how comfortable they could make themselves. They built their own houses. Forgot all about God's work. They just started their own stuff. They got really busy doing their own stuff. And it was really about their own lives and making themselves and the wrong thing the main thing. But they probably always intended to get back to work. They probably always thought they would get back to God's house. But the thing is, 16 years are still saying it's not time yet. What about this church? What about us? I know that through the years, uh, you know, we've been up and down and up and down, but uh, I don't know. And our church is doing pretty well, but I've never, I've never seen a season of our church's life when the budget was as tight as it is right now. During the Depression, Woodburn Baptist Church doubled its giving to missions. During the Depression, Woodburn Baptist Church doubled its giving to, to missions. But suddenly now, in, in this period of prosperity, we act like we don't have enough. I've never seen the budget of this church as tight. And I've never seen the people so busy. Never seen a generation of Woodburn Baptist Church folks, and I've been here a while now, I've never seen this congregation so busy. Busy. Everybody's busy, Brother Tim. I, I understand that. Brother Tim's busy, too. Maybe there's a connection between the way we never have enough time and we never have enough money and, and we seem to never be satisfied. Maybe it's the way God is sort of blowing things away to, to turn us back to him. My hunch is we're busy taking care of ourselves and doing our own business and we've forgotten the one job we have. And that's to do his work. It's his work. God and God alone is the main priority, the top priority. If he's not the top priority in our hearts, then our hearts are out of order. It's, it's a strong word from God to God's people. Look at what's happening to your life. Your busyness is a bad sign. It's not a good sign. It's a bad sign. The way you're never satisfied, that's a symptom of a sickness. And God has the cure. I guess the word for us as individuals and as a church is to get back to work. We need to trim some things from our lives so that we're able to make the main thing the main thing again. We need to trim some things from our personal budget so that we are able to give and support God's work again. Haggai brought a message to God's people back in the day, and it was a simple message. It, it was just be strong and get back to work. So I guess as pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, that's the message today. Be strong, get back to work. I remind you, you only have one job. One job. Pray with me.
God, if we were to look at our calendars, if we were to look at our checkbooks, they would probably tell a story of how we live our lives. They would show how we budget our time. They would show how we budget our money. They would show, Lord, how we run and we race and we move and we set the world on fire, we think. But we don't accomplish anything. And deep down in the bottom of our hearts, Lord, we're never satisfied. It's never enough. We never, ever find joy in anything. It is because we have made the wrong things into ultimate things. We have taken lower priorities and elevated them to top priorities. We have forgotten, Lord, our only job, which is to worship and to serve you. There's a world going to hell while we continue, Lord, to shop for new cabinets. There is a world that is dying and suffering and without the gospel, Lord, while we continue to be busy building our own little worlds. Help us, Lord, to pay attention to what is happening in our lives. Help us, Lord, to see how our priorities have shifted. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into our hearts and reorder the allegiances therein. Lord, reorder the priorities so that we recognize once more that we have one job and that you, oh God, you are the one who bosses us. Teach us to serve and obey and to live our lives, Lord, as if nothing else matters more than to do the things that you've put us here to do. Change our hearts, oh God, that our hearts would beat and bleed, live only for you. We have much to lay down today, Lord Jesus, and much to surrender back to you. Give us courage and grace to surrender it all to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for our own sakes.